0: Hi there this is Brian Barnett with The Last Symptom. When I started The Last Symptom I never in a million years imagined it would grow as it has. In these early shows especially audio quality was often iffy and there were references to services or online groups that are outdated and no longer in use. Great improvements have been made. Where should you go for all of the most up to date resources that I offer? thelastsymptom.com is my permanent website full of free resources where everything is always up to date and that I encourage you to refer back to often there are also a few modest paid resources at thelastsymptom.com these support my efforts and have allowed The Last Symptom to exist for as long as it has these include one-on-one phone conversations with me one-on-one Zoom video calls with me, and perhaps most importantly, The Last Symptom Fundamentals Course, which is a two-week, intensive, pre-recorded online video course that is far superior to things like DBT. The Last Symptom has a flourishing YouTube and Rumble channel where I publish regular orange slices, which are condensed video insights of 5 or 10 minutes in length. If you're just now discovering the last symptom, welcome. I hope you will find every insight and resource you need here for authentic and permanent recovery from emotional disorders, such as borderline personality disorder. Now on to the show. I hope you enjoy. Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental health nor emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he has gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as they individually and personally choose while accepting full responsibility for their own individual thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares, and by listening to this program, you are acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Happy Thursday, everybody. This is Brian Barnett, and uh, I'm so glad you're here, because today I got a, uh, a guest on the program from the UK. His name is Matt. And uh, he's got some interesting things to tell us. So let's go uh, check with Matt and see what he's got to say. Now, are we going to use your real name? or Are we going to just... Uh, my, my real name is absolutely fine. I've no issue with privacy. Otherwise, I wouldn't be there to do it. All right. Well, let's get into this. Uh, would you mind telling us who you are and where you're at?
1: Um, my name's Matt. I live in... Um, I live in Suffolk, in uh, United Kingdom, England. And it's uh late there we should tell everybody that it's
0: late there and there's a reason for that uh good old brian barnett made some made a mistake earlier today matt and i were supposed to talk earlier and i kind of got sidetracked so matt is doing me a huge favor by being up late tonight and talking to us thank you matt it was an error of judgment and so i'm sitting here in my fluffy pajamas so i'm i'm having time of my life i'm good with this <laughs> all right great so the question i've been starting off with is what's what's your motivation for
1: participating on the program I suppose um, curiosity is one of them, and to, and to um, voice and voice on different platform, different audience. I think since joining since joining the group, it's it's offered a, it's a whole, whole different level of thought for me, and it's it, it in, in getting it out uh, without judgment. Which my my current situation is, I'm, I'm very limited uh, within my support, within my local, within my family, how I can speak about this. So in, in a sense, it's a freedom to be able to speak openly. Um, without judgment. Uh, let's explore that a little bit more about
0: your lack of support. But uh, first of all, can you tell us more about your curiosity? What What is the curious aspect of it?
1: a, a curious aspect of uh, what? Sorry, remind me. I'm a little bit nervous.
0: Oh no, no worries at all. You, the curious um, aspect of participating on the program. Are you curious about how it's going to go, or what questions you might get answered, or?
1: I think I'm more curious about how it's going to go. Um, what I'm going to come out with. Uh, and how I'm going to conduct myself, and I think curiosity of hearing myself back, um, perhaps you know feedback from the audience or my friends who know I'm doing this in, in the sense of, of how what I'm going to do, just a natural nervous curiosity, I suppose.
0: Okay, well that's great. I think those are great things, um, and I think that uh, you know the one one of the benefits of having you on the program. I really like this broad representation that a lot of different people in a lot of different places are dealing with similar issues and i think that's going to go over well for our group
1: it's definitely an asset that's for sure
0: now i've got two things to tell you while we're doing the interview i'm going to try not to talk over top of you because that makes editing later much easier for me so if there are some awkward pauses that's all that is okay and the second thing is we've got uh, like a massive storm hitting us right now so <laughs> if the electricity goes out or anything like that uh that'll explain that so
1: tell us a little bit then about your lack of support uh, i 've been in what we call over here supported housing, which is uh, like the local mental health authority for the last five years. I was always fully aware about uh, of the stigma attached to borderline and also the um, the stigma that professionals actually portray towards people with borderline, even well before I was diagnosed. Um, a couple of friends of mine had borderline personality disorder, a couple of people who were in the same support support unit had borderline personality disorder and yet the treatment they had was pretty horrific. And this reflected as when I finally got correctly diagnosed, I noticed immediately that any emotional intimacy that I had in the professional relationship with my carers was withdrawn. And I received the same treatment, the same judgment, with the same um, almost like uh, pushing, just pushing away, as my friends and, other, and colleagues that uh, um, had borderline personality audiovisual experience. In a sense, it, I'm still in supporting housing now but I'm making my way out of it. But it's been, it's, it's, it's quite palpable. You, you get the sense of just um, the lack of trust that went either way uh, and the withdrawing, the constant invalidation. It's made me withdraw emotion into missing myself and not open up to staff. Uh, and it's, it's been, it's made my recovery a a lot more difficult coming up against obstacles like that.
0: Can you tell us anything more about, uh, can you describe
1: for us a little bit more of the stigma that exists over there? Uh, over here you've got, um, something of interest to me is I've, I've, um, it's, the terrifying thing for me is actually the male stigma, um, or the perception behind the male borderline and, um, and how horrific that is. Uh, I think there's something called The Crush Before the Crush or something like that or The Crush Before the Crush, I'm not sure how he is and the nature of the training of um, of my support staff uh, they would use that actually as a source uh, they would, a um, the stereotypical male borderline and that's how they would treat me for example I was supposed to be the abuser, the, the stalker uh, the jealous guy, the angry guy the Romeo, the Casanova, all those things albeit may I tick a couple of those boxes but certainly not the bad ones out of that one so that's what I was faced with. That's the stigma I was hit in the face with. I was caught in a double bind. Um, it didn't matter what I did. Um, it was a manipulation, etc. Um, so I was I was hit with the wall of stigma even before I had a chance to really um, ask for what I wanted. And all that did is made it impossible to ask for what I wanted. And the stigma over here is, although it's you can argue it's equally, equally as um, horrific, male and female, the male stigma for
0: me has been pretty horrendous. So have, has there been nobody that has shown uh, a certain degree of um, willingness to adjust their opinion about your situation by learning more about it?
1: Uh, yes, there's been a couple of people. Um, one of my main um, um, key workers, as we call him over here, has, has, has a great understanding. and uh, There may be two people um, that, that I felt comfortable also comfortable sharing as, as far as source material and regarding my recovery with them um, and this is out of a, a group of about maybe 10-15 people within my support circle there are two that I've they've been willing to engage, understanding setting boundaries, consistency uh, being proactive with me so th- there's been two people out of maybe 15 the other people, is, although they're professional carers and I have great respect for them as far as my personality disorder. I've certainly had a lot more damage done to me via inconsistencies uh, and invalidations with professional staff and it's been a pretty horrific time so but one or two people show me compassion actually be engaged and interested in it in my journey with me to actually find out more and get rid of this rampaging personality disorder.
0: Okay, aside from the people that you're working with there who are professionals or who are, uh, you know, in that field. How about your personal friends outside of that environment? Your your family and your well, let's not talk about your family because your family actually might be part of the problem, you know. Indeed. <laughs> and, I have no problem. I have no problem talking about them. No problem. About. Okay. Well, we'll get into them in a second, but I want to. Uh, what I really want to know is, how about your friends outside of that environment? Have you gotten any support from them? Have their opinions evolved? Because I'm in
1: a support group with other people with mental health issues. There's um, friends, uh, and also friends, particularly, are very understanding. However, um, there's only so much I would engage if I'm having a particular. I hate to use the word episode, but I can't really think of an alternative at the moment. I would tend to be insular and in keep it to myself and keep my friends on a boundary level for healthy friendships rather than exhibit my symptoms. I'm also involved in doing dialectical behavior therapy with the group as well. Um, So they're very helpful with each other, but still, it's still bounded in the sense that um, I like to keep my things to myself. As far as non-judgment, yes, um, I find that in my friends a lot. It it is very helpful, and we work through it together. We all have our own issues. They may not have the same diagnosis as me. But judge, the non-judgmental attitude is there, and, that, and that's a gift. As far as, my partner's very supportive of me, but then again, I will hold back when I have my bad days, and I'll be pretty quiet about it. And I'm lucky that I have a small but quality group of friends that I'm involved with, uh, and I, I always strive to keep those relationships as healthy as possible, which, and unfortunately some of the time, which means I have to keep my BPD symptoms to myself.
0: Okay, let me ask you this, uh, and maybe, maybe this is a bold question. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to. What brought this all on? What put you in this position where you uh, suddenly had to identify what you were dealing with and then uh, you know, be in this struggle? Are you talking about uh, diagnosis BPD, yeah? yeah? Well, yeah, the whatever brought you to recognize that there was something going on and you had to fix it.
1: Uh, yeah, I always knew, um, probably since about six years old. Um, wow. I knew something was wrong. Um, I had an um, alcoholic mother, sort of like unpredictable father, narcissistic abusive grandmother, uh, which is that's no surprise I had this diagnosis, and recognising signs there that I was I was different. I was feeling I remember uh, I'm actually feeling depressed at age five and six years old, and that's something fundamentally wrong with that. In my teenage years, I was suffering from psychosis, um, paranoia. Yet then again, with no idea really what was wrong, I found work, I found girls, I got on with it. I always knew this something was there, but I didn't engage, I didn't really understand it, I just hoped it would go away. In fact, the more hours that I worked, <laughs> the more I kept it at bay. Um, had a child by this age, uh, by this time, age 19, so that kept me you know, working a lot of hours and keeping keep me busy. Sure. It wasn't until a few years later when, I'm, when I became ill and I couldn't work when everything crept up, Relationship failed. Uh, everything spiraled, and I pretty much locked myself in a room for, or was kept in a room for like eight or nine years. Um, didn't really go out in in a very unhealthy relationship at that time. And that's when I got, I don't know how I got took into supported housing. Uh, otherwise, I probably would have been made homeless. It still took a few years for me to actually get the diagnosis, but um, I knew something was seriously wrong with the paranoia, the psychosis, with the mood changes. And uh, the only person that really didn't know. For those few years was me because my support staff actually suspected I was borderline but never told me. Uh, it wasn't until I'd been involved, I tended to attract people, uh, women with borderline personalities All right, I had a few relationships with, with that. And even then I never identified with any of the symptoms, I suppose, because I was too ashamed. Until, um, until I actually looked it up. I was actually brave enough to go on Wikipedia and Google it and, um, I looked at the subtitles and then boom, that was it. The diagnosis was held back from me was uh, well i was actually misdiagnosed for quite a long time i uh, found out quite a little while ago that he was actually he was suspected and held back but finally got the diagnosis and then uh and then the insight and then down the rabbit hole i went
0: this is just uh blows my mind when i hear people talking about having a diagnosis held back from them. that's not well it's just not considered appropriate here in the
1: united states is that is that more acceptable there and UK. It's changed, um, what, you're talking about the diagnosis, Uh, anything to avoid giving some of the diagnosis, is that what you're referring to?
0: Right, well, you know, we have here in the United States, we've got uh, people who, we've got professionals who will say, I don't believe in giving, in labeling people, but as far as just right out holding a diagnosis, you know, well, I'll give you an example, I'm a Spanish interpreter in the medical field, and the Russian interpreters, one thing they deal with is that in, in Russia, Doctors do that. For example, if a patient finds out that they have cancer, sometimes the family will instruct the doctor to not tell the patient that she has cancer. So the doctor is not obligated to tell the patient what she's dealing with. Now, here in the United States, that just wouldn't go over. And when it comes to emotional health issues, there's that principle
1: is still kind of intact. Yeah. Over here, what, what I, it's, um, I think it was you that coined the phrase, a dustbin diagnosis. I don't know where I got that from. I think it might have been you or somewhere else I read it. I did, um, it is a diagnosis that's over here that they do not want to give people. Uh, I think they've avoided giving people, uh, purely because of the stigma and, and, and the withdrawal of support. For me, it was, I knew what it was. Um, I had a lot of insight into it. So they really didn't have a choice, uh, my psychiatrist, from giving it to me. But it is something that they, if they can withhold it, um, and you can get through and recover, they'd rather not give you the diagnosis, and it can be quite hard to
0: get. Hmm, interesting. I can tell that we've got a lot of stuff to talk about here. Yeah, it's no problem. Or
1: is it because I'm giving overly long answers?
0: No, no, not at all. Uh, it's really great. Uh, I'm just kind of sitting here fascinated. And i got this storm outside that's just pummeling my house. I can hear that, yeah. I'd like to know about your home life growing up. What, what was that like?
1: <sighs> um... Bed-clothed, um, alcoholic mother, um, high-functioning alcoholic mother, um, completely cold, distant. Father worked um, long hours, um, never never really at home, unpredictable. Spent most of my time of custody um, with my grandmother. He was a horrifically narcissistic person. So um, it had its moments of being stable in a sense, mostly when I was out playing with my friends and out of the house. It was, it was very unhealthy. I was never physically abused, if you will. It was I suffered a great deal of psychological emotional abuse by my grandmother, uh, and I suppose my mother in the less responsible sense her drinking was um, had grown progressively worse all through to my teenage years. it wasn't easy, but there are a lot of others out there that have had it worse and there, and there were some positives to it, but sometimes it's really
0: hard to remember them in my personal case, when I look at my my family, which none of them were uh, particularly violent or anything like that, but the emotional abuse, I'm guessing go back probably generations in both sides of my family. Yeah. Would you say that's the case
1: in your... Yes. Um, I think overridingly, um, the sense of shame with everything I did, um, you know, whether it be flatulence, whether it be anything mildly sexual, the sheer depth of shame which was carried forward in... in you know, That's where the sense of invalidation has come from. I'd be, I'd be shamed. I think a lot of it has to do with my with my mother's background, and that's one hell of a storm you got there. Yeah, that
0: that that just hit me on the knee. (laughs) Not really. That was outside, but it was
1: close. And I think this went um, that sense of shame. I've noticed it with with my mother's my mother uh, her parents, my my grandmother. It's it's that same sense of shame, and also um, I think to finalise that the the biggest issue. as far as my childhood to stand, is, is, uh, my grandmother hated my dad. Treated my sister like a princess, but absolutely took it out on me. I think I've and if I can summarize my experience growing up with hmm. the biggest impact, that was it.
0: Just real quick, have you had any great accomplishments or any uh, real aha moments lately?
1: When I actually look, look at evidence and recognize them, and I sometimes have to really concentrate on that. Yes, I have. Um, for the last six months, I've been... Uh, adult in in uh, and being in a very healthy relationship with my partner very very healthy uh and developing healthy behaviours also i've got back into education as well as much as it's been a struggle i've actually been achieving at that and the due to start another year long course so when i'm flailing along sometimes um, dealing with the mood swings i'm actually making positive steps and having some good recovery moments in my life and the key and and i've started to recognise that um, another Eureka moment if you will is actually um, I've been part of a few BPD groups on um, various platforms, Facebook or whatever uh, finding your one has, you know that's been that's been a that's been a, almost that's been an epiphany for me that's that's been a real kept that's just maybe be a little bit quiet let's have a look at this this, this process is a whole different way and it's actually I've made great strides in my recovery where I can sense refocus it. So finding this group uh, and reading what you're writing and and the other people associated with the group. has been a bit of a revelation for me. That's a huge positive.
0: Oh man, that's uh that's high praise. I really appreciate that. We've got so many questions. Everybody seemed to be pretty uh excited about asking you things. Did you notice that?
1: Uh yes I did. Um um I have been through I've uh, been through a lot of them and I I had to hold myself back from replying on the Onto the group, but there's some, certainly some very good questions there from everyone. I'd like to address um, each one if I have the time. I'm happy to do that.
0: Can I ask you a question myself?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
0: how did it make you feel whenever you saw that everybody was throwing in questions like that um, directed to you and your specific uh, circumstances?
1: What was um, heartening was um, the, the quality of the questions themselves, um, how relevant they were. Um, it never asking me a even though they're asking me questions, it was clearly by the way the questions were being asked that there was an understanding uh, and certainly an interest in um, in how I in how I deal with things or or my history. So uh, it was really positive. It's nice to have a bit of a sense of connection with other people who um, understand this you know rampaging personality disorder.
0: Let's get into it. Um, number one come from uh, somebody who says that she works over 18 hours sometimes with her, she's got her laptop, PC, phone, everything going on at the same time, easel. She, she says she even has an easel going on at the same time. And so she wants to know if you think that pouring yourself so much into your work, working long hours, was an unhealthy coping mechanism as a way of sort of uh, avoiding dealing with yourself And I'm going to split her question into a part A and a part B. So let's start there. Do you think that working long hours was unhealthy, and was it a way of avoiding yourself?
1: Um, Looking back on it, it was unhealthy and definitely a way of avoiding myself. At the time, it's just something I felt like I had to do without really understanding why I had to do it. I just did it without the insight that I have now and the reasons why I did it uh, back then. Uh, What I did feel overwhelmingly was the need to please, that much I knew back then, before, well before the diagnosis, or any reasons why, but mixed in with that was a sense to get away from my unhappy home life as well, so it, it was partly the need to do that at the time and also to pretty much get out of the house, but I had no idea it was unhealthy until many years later when the wheels fall off, as they do for most people. Um, when you look back and realize that um, the whole reason why you did it wasn't shaky foundations.
0: Right. Yeah. That I went through a lot of that myself. For looking back and in hindsight, understanding why I was doing what I was doing. The part B of her question is kind of related to what you just said. She says since it's normal to praise hard workers in general, that's kind of the social attitude. Did other people around you overlook this thing that you were doing, this working long hours and throwing yourself into your work, or? were you doing it to get praise and respect from your family? Sounds like you were trying to escape your family.
1: Uh, yeah, it, it wasn't anything with, um, if you talk to my family, my parents, for example, then no. Uh, I've been estranged to them pretty much a long time. If it was my direct family, my, my partner, my children, so to speak, uh, no, it wasn't really for that. In a sense, I was trying to escape my, uh, escape my ex-partner and my, and my miserable home life. I loved, I loved the praise. I was good at my job. Uh, I knew I was good at my job. Uh, and I wanted to make sure I did the best job I possibly could, which involved working a stupid amount of hours, for, you know, uh, and getting a good reputation, getting promoted, blah, 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 blah. But even back then, I got the sense that it was never enough. But the praise in general was, you know, intoxicating in a lot of ways, even though I couldn't articulate it back then exactly what it was. I just felt that I in need to actually do it and to get the praise for it. Looking back on it now, I you know, I'm sure we all know the reasons why. Um, we do that either to fill the void, validation, that sort of thing. But back then I was just well hey. I was just going along with it, throwing myself into it, which is, you know, which is a really good way of doing it, but without having really having that much of a clue why.
0: So how's that changed nowadays for you?
1: When I look when I look back it at the time when um, I was doing all the hours, getting this great reputation, um, as soon as I became unwell and I couldn't work, I was having problems, boom, I was dropped like a stone from my employer. That was incredibly painful. Uh, that's the first stage of the realisation I had that um, I was completely disposable in that sense, and that it really didn't matter how much I did because it didn't really count for anything. Back then, I, I suppose I had an, a sense of entitlement that the more I did, the more dispensable I would be, and I would I would get that loyalty paid back. You know, I was young and quite naive back then. Nowadays, with with the come crashing to an end in a sense, and I and I got dropped. I learned a very very valuable lesson, and then a very harsh lesson. Regarding that, and I, I promised at that time whenever I did get back into work that I would never give that much ever again. I will not do that. I will do a good job and that is it. So I, it was a necessary lesson, which is, which is what I passed on to my, you know, my, my adult children as well. Never give everything you've got because you, there's no sense of entitlement to get back what you put in.
0: And that's kind of the problem with when all of our validation depends on external forms of validation is that it can be taken away, can it?
1: It can indeed, because that's, that's codependency in, all this, in, in whatever guise and whatever form it is. It's still a form of codependency on that validation.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a really insightful point there. This question actually comes in a couple different forms from a couple different people. So I'll ask like one part of it, and then we'll come over to the other part of it. It has to do with isolation. You talked about that. And... The person uh, asking this question says, uh, since you had isolated yourself for so many years, was that helpful or was it damaging? Did you feel more comfortable being free of judgment while you were isolated, or did you do that because of trust issues? I guess she's asking, what was the uh, motivation for isolating yourself?
1: Um, That's the question that, well, I wouldn't say intrigued me, that terrified me the most uh, because of the answer, to be honest. Uh, it's a really really good question it's key if I look back on the isolation sometimes I still crave that uh, and it was for a lot of years uh, because I tended to swap um I swapped all kind of issues I got from external life going out interacting relationships when I isolated myself I didn't get any of that trouble instead I got um extreme depression uh, emptiness it was either one or the other but I can't but sometimes I crave that. In some ways it was good for me because, to be honest, there was no external, I don't like the word triggers, but I would use it. There was no, there was no external triggers and I wasn't getting myself into trouble. But there wasn't a the life. So isolating yourself, for me, half the time worked and half it was a complete waste of space. It's a really quite a difficult question to answer because of the, the external triggers or, or, or the, you know, soul crushing depression I had when I was isolating myself. But then you've got the other, on the flip side of it, you've got, you know, it, there's no life. Uh, when, when, when your whole world is the size of a, of a single room, you're not living. It's like a boat being in the harbour that doesn't go out to sea. It's absolutely pointless. But with that, the associated risks of going out as well and interacting, which a lot of time for me have got me into a lot of trouble and have been extremely painful. So between a rock and a hard place, it's, it's really difficult to answer. It's obviously unhealthy to isolate yourself. Um, but back then when I was doing it, I, I really didn't have much of an idea. Of either a diagnosis or what was wrong specifically to be able to help myself. So I did what I felt I needed to do at the time. But in hindsight, that is completely unhealthy to isolate myself, and I wasted a good ten years of my life, my thirties, which for any for any human being should be a time fruition for whatever you choose to do in your life. It was a complete waste of time, to be honest, the isolation. But it tended to get it tended to um, keep me safe, but didn't. Hard one to answer. I
0: recently had a conversation with somebody else about something similar to this, and uh, the way I described it to her was, yes, you feel better in the sense that there's less conflict in your life, but simply having less conflict in your life is not the same as saying that a person is genuinely happier. Would you agree with that?
1: I would, I would agree with that completely, and... Um And considering back then I had no idea about the needs for outside validation and my craving for connection, I sacrificed my craving for connection and social interaction for um, soul-crushing depression and the feeling of loneliness and emptiness.
0: Now the second part of this question comes from somebody else and I'm just going to read basically what she wrote. She says, I've been staying in my room for a year now. It makes me feel safe, but in some ways it makes me very depressed. I think that I'd get better if I went out often or more often, and started working, which scares me like hell, and some part of me really doesn't want to do it. I feel like I'm really missing out on so many things, and when I work once in a while, I actually feel really well and normal, she says in quotes. I'm a freelance sound engineer, so I work for one or two days a month for 15 or 16 hours a day, and that's just enough to pay the rent, but there's a part of me that is too scared of the world to really commit to something more regular. Since you, Matt, have isolated yourself for quite a long time, my question would be what would you do differently if you could? She wants to know how she can avoid the same mistakes that you made.
1: To first of all recognize, which I think uh, the person does, that it's, it's, you know, it's completely unhealthy, even though uh, the person, I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be a she, because I think I might have read the question, that agrees with, in principle, a lot of things I was saying about it, how it could be necessary and, and safer. However, um, me nowadays screams at myself 10 years ago or 15 years ago, what the hell are you doing? You know, evidence it. get out there a little bit by little bit. A bit of exposure to the outside world, uh, while managing your own issues is vital because, uh, you've got to allow, you've got to you put yourself in a position to get better. If you're isolating yourself, which I did, I didn't take care of myself, whether it be my hygiene, whether it be cleaning my teeth, my clothes. I didn't give myself a sufficient baseline enough to get better. Getting out and interacting, albeit painfully at times, you're getting yourself ready for getting better. Because if you isolate yourself, you will not. There will be, there will be no recovery in a sense. There will just be survival. Uh, I don't know which one I'd rather choose. You, you have some really
0: great insight. I, there's not a whole lot I can add to what you're saying. and I, I love that uh, people are getting to hear this directly from you instead of me telling them the thing in principle they're getting to hear it from somebody who, you know, has been there and now is looking back with hindsight being 2020 20 and saying this is, this is where I was wrong and this is how I've improved. So thank you so much. Another question, when you re- and this kind of stood out to me too when we talked the first time, is that you realized at such a young age that something was not quite right. And the person wants to know what sort of reasoning do you remember going through at that age? Do you think, did you think that you were flawed? bad thing different or was it something you just tried to ignore
1: it it was beyond my comprehension uh there was something it's like a shape that i couldn't quite make out i knew that there was there was something there was something fundamentally wrong i think back then i felt overwhelming sadness and and depression about it but after the age of say five and six i noticed that i didn't have many friends i always felt the odd one out uh a sense of missing out on things, somewhat dislocated. One thing that did concern me at that young age was the fact that I didn't really have any hobbies. There wasn't anything I was particularly passionate about other than cars. Um, There was nothing else. There was no desire really to do or to be anything. Let
0: let, let me interrupt you for just a minute. I think what she's asking is, were you mindful enough or self-conscious enough to come to a conclusion about why these things were true about you like why were you did you not have many hobbies why were you uh, different you know do, were you self-conscious and self-aware li- enough like that to ask yourself or come to conclusions about that
1: no i don't think i was i couldn't really uh, i don't think i was at all i don't think i really had much of a uh, concepts of uh, or, or that i could grasp why I was that way. Back then, the, the thing mostly in my mind um, was the fact that I was in custody with my grandparents the most, and what they said. When uh, it's almost like I didn't allow myself my own opinions to form, or at least didn't have any concept of, of of why.
0: Let's let's hop right into the next question then, because you just mentioned your grandparents, and somebody else brought that up, and wanted to know some more details there. For example, you talked about your difficult home environment with a narcissistic uh, grandma and you alluded to her emotional and psychological abuse ra- uh, rather than physical abuse. So the person was asking if you could give a few examples about the nature and instances of that abusive behavior. And of course they, they apologized if they were overstepping and said you didn't have to answer, but they're, they're asking anyway.
1: No, it's absolutely fine. I'll start off with the light traumas before I get the heavy stuff, Brian. <laughs> All right, I have absolutely no problem asking that question. Could you focus that last bit of the question for me again? Exactly, specifically, what you want?
0: Yeah. So your your narcissist grandma was abusive. Tell us something specific about that abuse.
1: Uh, um, The first thing that comes to mind is her whispering campaign with me when I was watching TV or eating my dinner. She used to come uh, sit down next to me or or creep up next to me and say, uh, "You're just like your father. You're worthless. You are. You'll never be anything." Very frequently. This was sometimes when my grandfather was there and when my sister was there. When she wasn't there, it was it was more uh, direct to me. And I constantly would go to her and try and please her. I'll give you an example. Um, she, she asked me what I want to be, and I said, I want to be a doctor, <laughs> fireman, what that, anything like that. And, and she would instantly come back with, well, you need brains to do that. You haven't got any brains. You're just like your father. Uh, it was that pattern with everything. But yet I'd constantly ask, and I'd get the same answer. That's that's one part of the uh, sort of psychological abuse, and and this was a constant thing. The other thing was um, what stands out, which happened frequently. I'd, she'd always accuse me of things that I didn't do to get me in trouble. Uh, there's one particular example. She dropped my my grandmother dropped a hot coal on the carpet, which burned. When my grandfather came home, she told him that it was me. I got the belt from him, and as I was shouting at my nan, saying you're lying, it's it's you know it's you. Uh, I got a belt from her, um, from me being accused of a liar. So yeah, I got a double punishment from that. Man. And that was quite a regular thing. I'd, I'd be sat up to foul at all, all times uh, for things like that, and this, this was very, very common. So even back then, I didn't know whether I was coming or going. The other thing that stands to mind is, is um, sexual shame and humiliation, even from a very young age. Uh, young enough, certainly, to still be bathed for my grandparents, for my nan. Uh, regular comments about me which I didn't have any concept of back then you know nowhere near sexualised at, at, at a very young age and also um, I wasn't allowed to use a toilet indoors until I was about 11 years old I used to have to go in a bucket in the garden my sister was allowed and even then I really didn't think there was anything that wrong with it even though at home with my parents I obviously used a toilet but every time i bring it up to my parents um, it be, I'd be shushed and being told I was making it up so that's just an example of what I got on a regular basis.
0: Man, that is, uh, that is some heavy stuff. You're going to have a lot of people wanting to give you a hug after this, I think, Matt.
1: <laughs> Hugs fix all kinds of things. I'll be up for that.
0: You talked about psychosis. Can you describe the psychosis you experienced, and was it provoked by any kind of substance abuse?
1: Uh, absolutely not. I've never been into drugs, or, and I'm teetotal, pretty much, so no drugs or drink for me. Uh, cold turkey. It's provoked, it's a lot of stress related a lot of stress related paranoia events happen things happen but then that goes into psychosis. It still happens now if I let things escalate rather than getting a handle on it and it's it's not through any substance it's from me spiraling. things tend to become unreal
0: so you would uh would you hear things see things what what kind of psychosis were we talking about here
1: For one I become extremely hyper vigilant start hearing voices outside of my head uh fun calls for example with ringing people having conversations right next to me and that sort of psychosis, things jumping out at me. I would lift up my arms and I would look at my armpit here, and there'd be spiders. Just just for the briefest of seconds. That's was, when it was its worst. When it would going to uh, well, why classes for full psychosis? Has that gotten better? or that, Has that improved? Uh, that's got that's got a hell of a lot better, and a lot of that's down to having an understanding of the why and 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 how. I was through stress and whatever. However, I was escalating myself. I was I was use that word again. I was triggering myself to get myself into a state. So I can plot, I can plot how it was happening, and I can tend to stop it coming back from the edge. And it's, I've managed to get a handle on it. Um, I take preemptive things, for example. I, I'll take, I'll take some diatherm to take the edge off early on when I feel it, and I get to manage it. Or I do other mindful things, for example. I, I take action. There's still a risk to it because obviously uh, it's stress related, but I have a lot of insight and uh, I understand my own body and why it's happening. Uh, and I can pretty much stop it from getting that far.
0: Excellent. Let's let's try to end on a positive note. You sound pretty upbeat.
1: Uh, yeah, things have been um, steady, which is <laughs> why I crave, to be honest, a little bit of stability. Things on the outside, I'm uh, things are going well. I'm uh, managing my time well, uh, as far as, as, far as um, you know. You know and, um, um, Getting back back into education, education. I'm I'm looking after my relationship, Um, making sure my friends are healthy. So I'm I'm keeping myself pretty stable. And And evidence evidence suggests, outwardly at least, um, that I've got a lot to be thankful for. And I've started to evidence that, which has increased my quality of life uh, over the last six months. So things are going really well at the moment.
0: There it is. That's the interview with Matt. And, uh, man, I just have such a good time talking to him. I think he's a great example for the people who follow me and listen to me, not because of anything that I've done for Matt, but rather because of what he's done for himself and the insights that he has to share that complement the things that I, that I tell people. So um, I just feel really honored to have uh, spent the last couple podcasts talking to him, and I hope he'll be back. Folks, you have a great week stay warm or stay cool wherever you're at stay dry or stay wet whatever your preference is and uh, I'll talk to you real soon as always thanks for listening